Big Ten Plus Four is a member of Odd Pods Media and ASAP All Sports All Plays Network. Welcome into Big Ten Plus Four. I'm Dalton Shetler with an inquisitive, a skeptical. What was that, Sam? The the one eyebrow raise. You kind of have a Dwayne Johnson look going on. That's what I was going for. The end of the okay. rock, you know, get the uh, the people's brow. Wasn't it the people's brow? Well, I know you use the people's elbow, so that it could be part Correct. of the theme. He was the people's champ, and so like I think it was everything. So this was the people's elbow or eyebrow. It's pretty good. Pretty good yeah. way to start things off here for Big Ten Plus Four. Uh, <laughs> if you're new to the show, of course, as Sam says, shame on you. Uh, but this is college sports with a Midwest perspective, blue collar and blue blood. Uh, and of course, we are adding in a few more blue bloods in UCLA and USC, which we're going to have to talk about the imaging of the show. What was that? I said, yes, but yeah, you're <laughs> right. We're, I, I think we're going to have to rename ourselves. <laughs> Things got a little bit more complicated with the addition of we USC and UCLA. This when we named the show, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, we didn't see it. Right. Not not at all. Um, but nonetheless, uh, as we continue to move forward, we're starting to get closer to August, where we're going to be talking a lot of Big Ten football, gearing up for that. The Big Ten media days happen next week. Um, but what's interesting, too, we start off by talking a little bit of USC, UCLA. Now, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, but over the weekend... Uh, which I was gone. I, I was completely unplugged from my phone, but I did see that the Pac-12 and Big 12 ended talks officially on trying to merge. So in this, in this conference realignment carousel, those two will not um, uh, merge together, which seemed to be maybe a, a very possible idea. But in the end, when you when you hear from some of the reports and some of the sources, it sounds like ultimately, as we talked last week, Sam, about that you have to move the needle in terms of revenue to make any of these conference additions at this point. Merging those two didn't move the ticker, and so now we sit. Well, and it didn't, you know, like you said, it just didn't make sense for them. Like the the deals they were going to get weren't going to be like, wow, you added the Pac-12 or wow, you added the Big 12 because they're they're shells of what they used to be. So they're not going to drive the the needle anywhere. And so, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you're, you're not making a conference just for the sake of making a conference, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. So now some of the question becomes, I mean, we've seen the Big 12 go out and add some members in with Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, all joining the Big 12 down the road. Does the Pac-12 try to add some more teams into their conference, regardless of whether it moves the needle or not? Do you just because maybe you want to expand your footprint because you don't have that many teams? Like when we were talking about the mega conferences with the SEC and Big 10, uh, one of the big things to, to keep in mind, too, is adding new states into your footprint, adding different markets. If you have that few of members like the Pac-12 does now, maybe you want to put an emphasis on trying to expand that footprint just because it's it's about half 
of the members that the Big Ten and the SEC have uh, going forward. So it'll be curious or it'll be interesting to see who they add if they do. San Diego State sitting out there. I mean, there's a couple of options for the Pac-12. It's adding a portion of the state, but it's not adding a new state. Correct. You're not wrong. But that's one of the better athletic programs. I mean, sure. it's, it's possible. They've been, they've been good in both football and basketball, at least to some extent in the past. So, uh, But I just – we talked about the only one that really exists now out there that could move the needle would be Notre Dame right now. So, like, what what would be the benefit? I mean, just to add states to add states, like you look at the pack, pack ten at the time, pack ten, uh, last expansion they made, they went into Colorado and Utah. Before that, they were in Oregon, Washington, and California and Arizona. Like that was their their that was it. So they expanded into new states. Now you're losing two out of California, but that doesn't necessarily to me say that you're going to need to add somebody from California to replace them, but. Unless you're talking Ned Notre Dame to the to the Pac-12, I don't know that there's anybody that really jumps out to me as a team that should, or teams or schools that should jump into that conference. Which Notre Dame would never do. Like if Notre Dame's going to join a conference, it's going to be a big boy. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so it'll it'll be kind of interesting just to see how they handle this because remember too, you have a commissioner out there in the Pac-12 who's fairly new in George Klievkov and didn't really come up through the athletics background. Mm-hmm. He's got a different background. He was a unique author. What was that? My speaker's struggling with you, Sam. Keep talking. He's an entertainment background, didn't he? Isn't that what his, his background is? Yeah, I believe. And let me look up just so we make sure we have this right. But I believe he was even with uh, some sports gaming uh, yeah. type of stuff prior to. So uh, we'll look to confirm that. But you have somebody who's really a unique position that is going to try and have to wade these waters. Yeah. He was at MGM. Just wanted to, to confirm that. Um, but how, how do you handle this? Because you're down to what, 10 members right now. You've had other schools tap on people's shoulders saying they kind of want to jump into the mega conference pile if they can make room for them. I mean, this, this will be really interesting. So the fact that they couldn't partner with the big 12, It'll be it'll be fascinating to see what the next move is for Kliyevkov in the Pac-12. Yeah, I, that poor guy. He take he takes the job, you know, what June first or something, and then all of a sudden USC and UCLA are out the door. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was. He I don't had, I feel sorry for him, like in that aspect, because like he walked into a buzzsaw. I think he had been on the job for maybe a few months, maybe when Texas and Oklahoma last year said they were going to the SEC and like the panic starts hitting in. Well, and uh, you also had Phillips for the ACC who just got that job with the ACC. And now he's walking into this. I'm, I'm messing up my, my, (laughs) my conference commissioners and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I, I, I am glad I am not a commissioner of a conference right now because I I wouldn't want that job. Just trying to figure out how are we going to stay afloat? And and honestly, the Big Ten and SEC are doing the same thing, even though they're the big dogs. It's like, what is going to keep us floating the highest? Yep. No, you're so not wrong. Never-ending never process. They can have that job. <laughs> 
yeah, it's uh it's it's uncertain times, and boy, that seems like a challenging position to be in. But hey, let's pick it up. Let's talk something a little bit more fun here, Sam, because yeah. you had texted me earlier in the week, and I thought this would be an interesting topic to go over. You had sent me, actually, you sent me a couple of different things. Uh, one is a bit more fun. One's a bit more serious and talks a little bit about some of the things we've been talking about. I'll let you pick first. You want to go fun or a little more serious? Um, I want to go fun starting out, Dalton. I, okay. I, I, I'm in a fun mood this morning. I don't know what it is, but I'm that's just the way I am today. So fun <laughs> topic, and this was from Alex Hickey and uh, Saturday Tradition on Twitter. The top Big Ten alternate helmets I came up with a list of all, not all, but the top 10 uh, as he sees fit, the alternate helmets in the Big Ten Conference. So starting off at number 10, you have the Bicentennial Trident, the Indiana Hoosiers, the, the IU logo on the side. You all right with that one, Sam? I know you're not a, an IU guy. Well, here's the thing. I would say on my on my top 10 list, IU would show up, but I do not like that Trident look. I, I just don't. The and, and I'm getting ready to share this on, on – uh, on the video, the, the clip or the picture of this, but I, I'm just not a fan of that, of that trident. So no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say nay. Nay. Okay. On the, on the trident. Well, and I, I have some thoughts too, as I'll, I'll continue to, to let you get that up there. Appreciate you getting the video or the, the pictures around here, Sam. Well, you'd like to think that I'm doing it quickly, but I thought of it as you said something about it. So it's taken a second because you know how technology is absolutely uh, so but it, it hasn't even made it to my inbox yet i had to email it to myself but for indiana indiana actually appears on this list a few different times Ooh. three different times which kind of surprised me <laughs> and yeah well purdue's on here twice uh, best one isn't even on it See, that's that's where I have a problem with this. And, and we'll talk about it when we get this image up here. But we, we have 10, 10 helmets here. Two are Purdue, three are Indiana. There's five of them. Minnesota's got two. That's seven. Michigan State with one. That makes it eight. Rutgers has one for nine. And Maryland has one to give you the 10 helmets. But we talked about number 10, that being the trident look for the Indiana Hoosiers. Number nine it's the Maryland Terrapins and the script where it says Terps on the side. Now, honestly, I like this helmet a little bit more than the regular one because the, the Maryland flag, I like it, but sometimes it's used maybe a bit excessive or maybe a, one that looks like the Maryland state flag. That one. Yes. To me, that's too busy. That's what I think. It's 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 too busy in the aspect of I just I can't get into it. You know what I mean? It just it, yeah. So no, I'm not a big fan of uh, of that one. But I am a I am a fan of uh, well, if this will stink and open, come on. <laughs> you gotta love technology until it screws you over. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as you continue to, to work away at it, and we'll be able to kind of recap the, the ones we talked about. I'm almost there. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Sort of, I guess. I don't know. Jeez. Uh, and it's interesting, too, with Maryland. I almost like the uh, the old Terp logo a little bit. The retro back in the early 2000s where you, you saw the Terrapin uh, with uh, the word Maryland underneath it. So yeah, I, I feel I, like that would be a nice one. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that one as well. Uh, let's see if this... For some reason, it didn't download in the right format. So now I've got to figure it out, Dalton. I got got to love this sort of podcasting, huh? Keep keep talking, and we'll figure it out. Jeez. Well, and I tell you what, Sam. While you work yeah. on that, why don't we segue over to the other story that we were talking about a moment ago? We'll get back to the fun. We'll get back to the party yeah. in just a moment. We'll come back to the fun. Just I'll effort while we're talking about the other. Yeah, yeah. So Sam, Sam will go to work on our fun idea. But the uh, <laughs> the other one that we wanted to talk about a little bit, and Sam had brought it up, Notre Dame, because when we're talking about the conferences, uh, Notre Dame is the big chip still on the table for college football conferences or, or just college conferences in general. But Notre Dame, and of course, you know the history, they've had their own deal with NBC where it's gone back forever and before all games were televised, Notre Dame was always televised with NBC. And they had this massive deal that allowed them to stay independent. And it was Notre Dame football. Well, as the world's quickly evolving and changing, and now you have all these different conference TV networks and everything else that televises everything. I mean, we've seen the landscape really kind of flip on its head. And the idea of just having all your home games televised maybe isn't as valuable as it used to be because everybody has that nowadays in college football but what's really interesting about Notre Dame of course we talk about that they're a big player they could make well over a hundred some million dollars I would probably say you're closer to 150 maybe even north of that because USC and UCLA with their addition in the Big Ten conference they're expecting over a hundred million dollars now joining the Big Ten if Notre Dame were to join the Big Ten conference that number would spike upwards And what Notre Dame wants right now, because Notre Dame has always, it's part of the allure, right? They're independent. They also get to control their schedule. They should know that they're independent too. That's what I mean. It's part of the Notre Dame brand. It's part of the allure, the mystique of Notre Dame. And they have a legacy media partner that that exclusively streams their games. So, I mean, it's, it's been a no brainer forever but now as the, the jackpots are getting so big in the Big Ten and the SEC, it's well more than what Notre Dame's getting with NBC. And so Notre Dame, it's been reported here in this last week, they're wanting $75 million from NBC annually to keep going that way. If NBC comes well under that, we might finally see Notre Dame join a conference. And more than likely... Signs would point that it would be the Big Ten. I hope. <laughs> I hope NBC comes in and says, uh, yeah, we can kick in some more. We'll give you 20. And because here's the thing. I, I'm, not, I, 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 I'm not a Notre Dame football fan in any way, shape, or form. I don't hide that in any way. But I'm not silly enough to think that they're not somebody that drives the needle. Mm-hmm. And they're good college football is better i've said this about you know usc i've said this about you know michigan when they were any any blue blood any historically great school that excuse me when they're good football's better like the, the the college football world is just a better world to be a part of and they're going to be on the outside looking in if they stay independent. I don't mm-hmm. see 
honestly any way that a college football playoff is going to look at them and say you know what we're going to give you still that if you're good enough you're going to make it in no you need to have a college or a conference alignment and i i think that i i think it's heading that way especially if they go to super conferences why would notre dame have any allure at all because the best they've done in the past what 19, since 1988 is they've made the college playoff twice basically the bcs championship and then the college playoff once yes well the college playoff twice and right. a BCS championship right. the bcs championship so three times it's since 1988 yes, that makes it about this much better dalton so you do you may not <laughs> look that much better well and 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 to be fair and uh, you'll continue your point in just a second. That's all in the last 10 years that Notre Dame's made a BCS championship game right. and the playoff twice, because like we say from 88 and that there was a death period from 88 to 2012. And what really shows you how valuable Notre Dame is, even during the, the Bob Davey, the Tyrone Willingham, the Charlie Wise eras, just where Notre Dame football wasn't Notre Dame football. It still was a moneymaker. It still had insane interest. So that shows that even when an Notre Dame isn't playing as well as it has in the last decade, it's still worth the money. But continue on. Well, and my whole my whole thing on that one is is when when you see and you, it's time for some some self inner exploration here for Notre Dame. What have we done since 1988? And literally, you just said only in the last 10 years have they yep. done something and it's only three times they haven't been you know competing like alabama or even georgia for this i mean georgia won their first national titles in 42 years mm-hmm. they'd been relevant and they'd been in the playoff and they'd been you know playing alabama every year to in the championship uh, sec championship to try to get to the playoff whatever it was they've been relevant and competitive to get to that point notre dame hasn't and if you're not in a conference where you can kind of stack yourself up yeah great you get to make your own com or your own uh, schedule but likelihood is you're going to be on the outside looking in yet again because you're too stubborn to say okay we need we're just going to join a conference well, and I always get curious, too, with these mega conferences, what do schedule requirements look like down the road? If, if you have all these different teams, how many games are they required to play in their conference? How much is left over for a team like Notre Dame if they were to stay independent? So there's a lot of factors here to keep in consideration. Uh, but before we continue to move on, I, did you have another point there? I was just going to say that you know these conferences are getting big enough. They make that may they may require their whole schedule to be a conference schedule. I mean, uh, you're you're getting to that point when they get to the point where these two conferences or three, I, I I still posit two, but there's thoughts that maybe three or four, like one in every region of the you know or in the area or whatever. When you get to the point where these conferences are so big and they're running themselves no longer under the NCAA's guys, what's keeping them from saying you're going to play all your games inside your conference because there's 30 teams in each conference. You have years that you're, you're going to go years without seeing some of those schools that are in your, in your conference. So what's keeping those conferences once they've broken off and run themselves autonomously saying that you're going to play your entire schedule inside your conference. And then Notre Dame screwed if they went into or remain independent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of things to keep in mind as, as we move forward uh, with, with Notre Dame and in college football realignment. Um, also speaking of Notre Dame football real quick, 
Uh, there is a Netflix series called Untold. I don't know if you saw this, Sam. Oh, I have coming. I, I think it's August sometime mid-August. I don't want to give you the date because I'm not 100% sure. Um, but there is a show, an, an episode, kind of a documentary-based episode, on Manti Teo and the oh, whole... With his girlfriend or thing? Those are those types. And, and that reminds me of... Uh, that Netflix also has a thing called bad sport where they, they go and dive deep into uh, crimes that happened inside the world of sports. And I think uh, the Arizona state point shaving scandals on that yep. one, a really good episode. And, really good. and I'm going to mention something real quick because uh, uh, on my other podcast that I have, I have Randy Lanier, who is the race car driver that smuggled marijuana into the United States. He's going to be on the show August 2nd. Wow, there's a tease. How about that? Yeah, I'm excited. But that no, and and should be it should be something to check out. <laughs> but uh that Manti Teo thing, I saw that and that stopped me in my tracks because I remember 10 years ago, Notre Dame's finally getting back to the, the peak of the mountaintop, and they, they have this guy, a defensive player, a linebacker who's a Heisman trophy finalist and, and most oh. influential or like noticeable guy since uh like Chris Zorich. Like that, just that happy-go-lucky type, awesome player, and then just kind of, you know, Chris Zorich was awesome. I loved him, you know, uh, even though he went to Notre Dame, I loved him. Anti Teo was kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I think face of the program, love, hate Notre Dame, whatever. That's something you need to watch because I'm, I'm, I'm curious on more of the story because I feel like we never really got a resolution in real time when all that was going down. So that's that's something to look out for on the topic of Notre Dame football. Well, if anybody's curious about what we're pointing at, uh, Manti Teo, like you said, Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, face of the team, big-time linebacker, had a girlfriend. Turns out she was fake. That That's the gist of the whole story. Yep. There's plenty more into it, but that like, and it, it broke. And it, like, like you said, Notre Dame was just kind of getting back into, you know, from into the spotlight. And then all of a sudden their, their best player's girlfriend is found to be fake. And, and from what you could tell at the moment, it sounds like Teo was surprised to find out like, like Teo believed he had an actual relationship. So this should be a wild documentary episode, yeah. uh, untold on Netflix. We should check sure. that out. We'll have to mark it down to, to check it out a little bit there because that's some interesting stuff. I, I and like I said, I, I don't want to try to make flight of people and look at me being the producer for getting the band about top. Uh, I don't, I don't mind. I don't want to make fun of people, but that, that, that's a mind blowing. I hate Notre Dame, but I don't want that. You know, I liked Manti Teo once he wasn't with Notre Dame anymore, but boy, it was a, whew, that was an event. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> so that's something to check out as uh, we're, we'll go ahead and step aside for the end of the first quarter. Come back with the second after this. Whistle was ready. Nice. nice yeah, I, I like that. I, I was moving to it while you were starting to uh, talk about it a little bit. So I finally got it. It's it's not perfect because I didn't. Uh, uh, I didn't. Uh, what the heck? There we go. I didn't uh, pre-download it. So now I'm kind of. Uh, well, I don't know what screen's which. <laughs> well, and and to go a little behind the curtain with. Sorry. 
some of our viewers and listeners. We're expecting to have a guest pop up here in just a moment. And uh, when, when we do, we'll go to talk with him. But it's Ryan Kay with Men of Mackey in the basketball tournament, uh, the Purdue alum team. So we'll talk with him when he joins. Uh, but as Sam has now propped up on your screen, this is from Saturday Tradition. This is the top 10 list, according to Alex Hickey. Uh, you start there in the bottom right corner. That's what we're talking about, the Trident logo. Uh, small, 100% as well. Anyways, there. Yeah, <laughs> Trident look is down in the right corner. I'm not a fan of that one, Dalton. It's it's not my favorite either. And then and then you have the Maryland script Terps that we were talking about there at number nine down in the bottom row middle. Uh, Purdue's railroad helmets coming in at number eight. Yeah, I have I have that one on. If you look right above my my head right there on my shelf, I have that one. I love that helmet. I really do. Well, and I'm, I'll be curious about your thoughts on number three as we'll run through these real quick because uh, I think we are ready for the second half in just a moment. Uh, number seven, another Indiana helmet, the Chrome Candy Stripes pops in. I'm not a huge fan of Chrome. So uh, this in uh, in the fact that it's IU makes it even worse for me. Um, the Candy Stripes make me want to puke because of IU. Um, <laughs> but my point on this one is... It would look better if that was white because that is I use colors, cream and crimson. I agree. I agree. Oh, and, and silver and you know, candy apple red. Not the biggest chrome fan either. Number six, Minnesota doesn't really do it for me either. Nope. Uh number five, the state of New Jersey. That's solid. That's solid it's for Rutgers. Cool. And you know what? I can handle the chrome uh logo. Yeah. It's not, it's not too much helmet that just you know, blings. So, it, yeah. Anyways, number Let's, four, Indiana's last helmet on this list, the 1995 throwbacks. I like this one. I love this one. I do. I had actually contemplated, and this sounds horrible for me to say. I contemplated buying this helmet so I could match it up with the Purdue one for uh, for the bucket game, just to have on oh, my nice. shelf for the bucket game because this is what I grew up seeing. You know, this yeah. is the IU helmet I grew up seeing. No, totally understand. Number three, Purdue Pete. Uh, curious what you think here because Purdue Pete's going to be worn this year by Purdue. Okay, that's what I was going to say. It's ne I've never seen this helmet, so it's obviously one that's going to be worn this year. I love Purdue Pete. I love the retro Purdue Pete look. I love that he's holding the football. Like I, 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 I like this one much better than the one I have on my shelf. If that tells you anything. Well, and speaking of retro logos, Michigan State comes in at number two, the Script State, yeah. which is just magnificent sits there. But Gruff Sparty didn't make the top yeah, ten sure. list. I'm sorry, but Gruff Sparty should have been number one or two on this list. And Script State, while it's a cool-looking logo, I don't think needed to be on it. Really? I think it's a top ten. I just I, I would have had Gruff Sparty. And I like the Block S when they do the uh, George Perlis throwbacks and the Block like S on the side. better than I like the Script, uh, script State. Really? Okay, good enough. That's the, or you got to remember, I'm 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 kind of nostalgic in that aspect. The one S on the one side of the helmet, and that's it. Michigan State helmets are the ones I grew up starting to to recognize. You know, that was Michigan State. They had the Steeler style helmet where they only had one logo on the side of the helmet. Right. Uh, oh. The running <laughs> running Goldie Gopher comes in at number one, and I, I think that's a pretty solid retro logo as well. <laughs> 
I would uh, totally love this and hands down say this is number one if you could take the chrome away from yeah. the maroon part and make that that a matte maroon. I think I would I would absolutely agree that that is without a doubt number one. So that's the top 10 list, according to Alex Hickey uh, from Saturday Tradition. And, you know, overall, pretty, pretty solid list. Pretty solid work. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it, it's uh, it, IU didn't need to be on there three times. You honestly could have taken from Candy Stripes and the Trident and put in, I don't know, Gruff Sparty. You know, like only one of the best logos that we've got in the in the big 10 history is old purdue p and gruff sparty those are the two to me that are absolutely just money i agree all right well that's going to be a quick second quarter because we need to get to the second half we have to talk the basketball tournament coming up on the other side of things the million dollar take all tournament what were you going to say sam no nothing i'm just watching listening <laughs> well good enough we'll I <laughs> we'll, we'll tip it off here in just a moment after this. You are listening to Big Ten Plus Four, hosted on Anchor and StreamYard. I'm Richie, a.k.a. Midnight Agent Raw. I'm Devin, a.k.a. Special Delivery Dev. We're the Super Media Bros Podcast. And each week, we give a comedically informative take on movies, music, television, pro wrestling, and much more. Check us out at SuperMediaBrosPodcast.com. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. Shades on. We're off. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Richie. I'm Little Matt. And here in the 500 Section Lounge, we are three dads who host a family-friendly weekly podcast. Yep, we laugh, we go on tangents, and we talk to great guests. Tangents? I, I don't know what you're talking about with that. You know, there are gases leaking. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. Yeah. We have legendary conversations from sports to history and everything in between. So be on the lookout for what we do next. And always be there to grab, grab a, a listen. listen. I don't know if it no whistled whistle. or I, I hit the button <laughs> second week in a row. Good enough. We'll move on here with the second half here on Big Ten Plus Four. And as you can see on the screen, if you're joining us on the visual medium, Ryan K, GM and founder of Men of Mackey in the basketball tournament. The Purdue alum team has joined us. Ryan, thank you so much for making the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to join you. Well, and if you don't know about the basketball tournament, it's in its, what, about seventh year. It's it's ran since, I think, 2014, but it's ninth. the ninth Yes, this will be the ninth season. Wow. Yep. Ninth season. It's the million-dollar winner-take-all tournament where all these teams get together, play. And it was really the originating major platform of the ELA mending that you've seen now spread out to the NBA All-Star game, uh, overtime for NBA summer games, so on and so forth. But uh, usually there's been a lot of Big Ten influence. There's been Carmen's crew, the Ohio State group. There's been a lot of good Big Ten teams involved, but I think Purdue is the only official alum team in this year's TBT. So we had to talk with Ryan K and, and hear about the Boilermakers. Uh, before we kind of talk a little bit about this tournament as a whole, I want to ask a little bit about you, Ryan, because I was looking at your, your bio and of course you being the GM and founder of this team, it said you were, you're a Purdue alum. When did you graduate from Purdue and how did you get there? Yeah. So I graduated from Purdue in 2009 from the Craner business school. <clears throat> um, how did I get there? Lifelong Purdue fan. My dad is a uh, Purdue engineering grad. 
So there really wasn't any other choice for me. My parents said that they would help me pay with school uh, if I went to Purdue and they would not help me pay if I went to IU. So um, those are strong, good parents right there, Ryan. That was uh, that was not a baseless threat. I knew that that was legit. But um, no. So I graduated in 2009 um, and I coached basketball for the middle school and high school right next to Mackey Arena. There's a school called Westside uh, yep. two blocks away and uh, coach there. And so I played basketball in high school, um, but uh, that was kind of the end of my playing days. So always knew I wanted to get involved in sports. And I, I kind of look at this as the intersection for me of sports and business, because what a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of business stuff that goes on behind the scenes, fundraising, logistical stuff. Um, we're trying to get a regional site next year at Mackey Arena. Oh, wow. um, so that there's, there's a lot of business involved in that. Um, so anyway, I'm rambling here a little bit, but I graduated in 2009. I came back. I moved to Fort Wayne, um, where I'm from, and got really involved with the Purdue Alumni Club here in town. And then kind of uh, if, if that evolved into a position on the National Purdue Alumni Board, which I sit on now as the chairman of finance down on campus. So, Well, so, I'll ask a follow-up. Sorry, Sam. I, I was trying to see. <laughs> well, it, we're at in Fort Wayne because we're both – we both grew up just north of Fort Wayne. We went to Eastside High School. Where, where, what high school were you? So I went to Blackhawk Christian High School, which is kind of the northeast side. My office is actually north of town in Kendallville, so you're probably oh, familiar yeah. with Kendallville. I Absolutely. used to be noble. Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead, Sam. So I was going to ask, how, what what led you? Like you know, the basketball tournament comes to fruition and starts. What was your decision and how did you go about getting the men of Mackey, you know, established and then getting the group of players that you've got to play for the team? Yeah, it's, that's one of the really cool things about TBT is anyone can start a team. So, mm -hmm. uh, basically the way TBT works is you, you put together your 10 best guys on the first roster lock date of June, which is June 15th this year. And then they do the seating and the picks for who's in based off of those 10 guys. You can add people after the fact, uh, but really you want to try to get your team uh, as locked in as much as you can by June 15th, because that's going to really affect your seating. And for some of the fringe teams, that will affect whether they get in or not. Um, you may not know this, but the team we play in the first round, Mid-America Unity, they were the final uh, team that, that got in. Um, so they were a fan selection team. Basically what they do is TBT in order to keep the engagement going with the fans. Um, they have they select about 150 fans to select the final team. It doesn't mean they're the, the worst team from a seating perspective, but they're the last team in. Hmm. Um, but back to your question, how did I get involved? So I have one of my high school teammates and really good friends. His name's Matt Mitchell. Um, he has had a team in every year. So I followed TBT for nine years. Uh, at the time when I started the team, we, we really got things rolling in 2019. They were kind of six years in. But um Matt has a really good team now. It started out as him and some of his his college uh, teammates, and it's morphed into an all star team. So they were a one seed last year. They're a two seed this year. Bunch of former NBA guys, G League guys. Really, really good team, and he's a really, really good GM. But uh, he was back in town, and he said, "Hey, I want to meet you for lunch." And unbeknownst to me, the TBT guys were really trying to get some more Big Ten teams to to come into TBT. And so Matt told me about it. And I said, look, I don't know any of the players like this is going to be a huge uphill uphill climb for me to try to, you know, unite these guys together and, and form this team. And he said, look, I think you're the guy. You've got the Purdue uh, connections. You kind of have the lay of the land from the Purdue alumni side of things. 
And he said, all you need is one player to help you that's interested and they'll help you recruit. So I left that lunch and before I left the parking lot, he had already connected me with the head guys at TBT. And within an hour I had a call and the team kind of formed pretty quickly then. Um, I was back on campus for an alumni uh, fundraising dinner and I ran into two former Purdue players who were graduate assistants, Grady Eifert and PJ Thompson. Yeah. And just kind of talked to them about it. And they basically said, look, if you're willing to handle the logistical side, we'll help you recruit players. And the rest is kind of history. That's awesome because uh, I I coached baseball for a while in Northeast Indiana, and so I'm I'm kind of familiar with Dwanger, which is where the Eiferts came from. So like I they I know they have a good reach. So Grady's a good guy to be one that would reach out, you know, and and he's got the connection from being at Purdue. So uh, that's awesome. That's an awesome way to come about the the fact that they wanted you too. Like they wanted more Big Ten. Uh, coverage in the tournament shows that the big Ten's doing something right dalton yeah absolutely they're they're really trying to get more and more alumni teams but um i don't know if this is going to be one of your questions but we i think we are the only purdue alumni team excuse me the only big 10 alumni team and in fact there used to be a big 10 all-star team in tbt that was called big x that was run by andrew dockage yeah so there's there's really uh less momentum, I guess you could say, for the Big Ten teams. And I think we've seen that on our team. Uh, we, we only have four Purdue guys as players this year, and we have two as coaches. Um, it's just been a little bit of a, a struggle this year. And I think I was naive when I started the team. I remember writing down a list of like 15 guys that were still playing. And I thought, man, if I could just get like 10 of these guys, we're going to go out and win the whole thing. I think the first year I had two uh, that actually committed. So <laughs> That's one thing that I was really naive about coming into this, um, just how difficult it is to get these guys to play. And rightly so. I mean, a lot of them are, are going through the grind of international basketball, um, playing overseas. And, you know, they're trying to squeeze a whole year's worth of stuff into like a two or three month off season. So I totally get it from their perspective. But, yeah, that, that's been one thing that's been much more difficult than I anticipated. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, because you mentioned that you're a lifelong Purdue basketball fan. Do you have moments where you're reaching out to these guys? Now, age-wise, maybe it's a little different because you said you graduated in 09. I feel like maybe if you're going after players that graduated before you, that you're kind of doing those looking up, kind of pinch yourself. You're, you're dealing with some of these guys. But, like, Robbie Hummel's on the roster. What's, what's that like when you're like, hey, I'm a big Purdue fan, and I'm getting Robbie Hummel to play for me? Yeah, no, that, that the first year, especially, there was a lot of that. Just again, I had no connection to the Purdue players other than I've watched them, you know, on TV every year um, and met a few of them here, there at golf outings and stuff, but wouldn't say I knew any of them. Right. Um, so, yeah, that that first year, like I, I'm texting guys and I'm like, why am I why am I texting Robbie Hummel right now? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Like for another thing, you know, you, you get to know these guys and uh, like I'm playing golf with Robbie Hummel tomorrow. It's like, why am I on the golf course with Robbie Hummel? You know, um, and, and I would say the bigger kind of pinch me moment was our first year we played in a bubble uh, in 2020 in Columbus, Ohio. And it was the first organized basketball back uh, from the, the pandemic. And I'll never forget, like we were we had so many things that had to go right for us to even get on the floor. Right. We had five players that were committed to us that uh, had to back out because they couldn't commit to the bubble for for scheduling reasons. We had two guys test positive for COVID beforehand. We got on site and TBT did a really good job of uh, the way they kind of quarantined guys. 
So we, we got on site, we each went and got a test and then we each went to our own hotel room so that there was no cross contamination. Everyone had to get their tests back. And this is, this is early on in the testing stage, right? So, um, the way it worked was you would do a, a spit test or saliva test and then tbt would have to take that that specimen and send it to the east coast for testing mm-hmm. so they expected like a 12-hour turnaround some guys were in their hotel for 36 hours waiting for the okay. test and then we had one guy on our team test positive and he had to basically stay in his hotel for 14 days in quarantine okay. uh, but the good thing about that was because we all abided by the rules and we didn't come out of our hotel rooms for 24 to 36 hours we were able to continue to, to move forward and actually play. But yeah, I mean, so the, the pinch me moment there was, there was just so many things that I felt like went wrong. And it, it just, you just kept waiting for the hammer to drop. Like, okay, we're not going to get to get out there on the court. But when that ball tipped, you're sitting in an empty nationwide arena. Um, I just, I just kind of remember looking to my left and looking to my right as Isaac Haas tips the ball. Like, why am I here? Like, this is, this is just, a, it was a really cool moment. Well, and, and it's important, I think, contextually to note that at that time, the NBA had already hit the pause button on their play. Like the sports world was kind of in a tizzy. They were dizzying, trying to figure out how you maneuver with COVID-19. And the basketball tournament, out of all these organizations, really was the leader in sports in how to manage the COVID-19 waters. But you also brought up Isaac Cost there for a moment. Explain to the folks, how big is he in person? Because that person, like... A lot of things I do, I'm up in mid-Michigan at Michigan State. He looks just like the Spartan statue. Like, he looks like that size. Before you answer that, Dalton has said on the record that there are two people that he is physically afraid of. One's Kofi Coburn and one's Isaac Haas. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he, it is, it's one of those things where, like, you know how big he is, but then you, you, like, I'll, I remember picking him up from the airport the first time, and, like, he's walking out of the, the terminal, and I'm, staying in my car, I opened the trunk of my uh, Durango and, you know, you see him walking toward you and it's just like, wow, you know, he sits in your car and it's just like, it, it, it it's, a, it's another life. I mean, the things he has to kind of manage around for being that tall, but um, no, he's huge. I remember uh, last year, him and I got to, to Columbus the night before the rest of our team, he had to have a, a flight from wherever he was flying in from in order to get him there for our first practice. He had to come in a day early. So him and I went to dinner downtown Columbus and uh, we were walking around getting ready to go into our hotel or our, uh, our restaurant and just the number of people that like are looking, you know, like who is that guy? You know, he's just so big, but he's a really good guy. He's, he's been a really good player for us. We're going to miss him this year. Um, he had some, some other commitments this summer, but yeah, it's, it's another world. You know, I'm a, I'm a financial planner and wealth management and I don't see seven, two guys on a daily basis. <laughs> well, most people don't. So that's, you know, obviously it wasn't that they were necessarily recognizing Isaac Haas. It was good Lord. That gentleman is tall. Yeah. You know, that, that gargantuan view. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember he, uh, we were warming up in, uh, in the Cavelli center, which is the Columbus, Ohio, uh, the, the Ohio state, volleyball and wrestling arena which is where our games were last year and he took his shoes off uh, his his like street shoes and changed into his basketball shoes and they were sitting right by the the bench and i just went over and like put my foot right next to one of his shoes and it was like half the size i mean yeah he's i think seth uh seth greenberg calls him a mountain masquerading as a man yeah yeah (laughs) 
it's a Dalton's explanation from his his trepidation and being scared that if he made him mad, he was going to die. That that probably sounds pretty accurate, right, Dalton? Yeah, that's 100% accurate. Hey, I do want to ask you about two other guys that you do have on this year's team because it's interesting. You mentioned you only got four Purdue alums on this year's roster, but you do have another Big Ten player in John Hara, who really was the blue-collar face poster child the last couple of years of Big Ten basketball. How do you link up with John Hara from Penn State? Yeah, so actually, um, this was there's a guy who runs another podcast who's actually a current Purdue student. And somehow him and I connected. I think he was maybe going to do some media for us last summer. Uh, that kind of fell through. But we we had we had gone from like messaging each other on Instagram or Twitter to we had exchanged numbers. And um, he sent me a text for another guy that we added that was on his podcast. And um, he said, let me know if you want me to introduce you to anyone else I've had on my podcast. Here's a list of like 20 guys that he thought would be a good fit for us. And I said, well, actually, I'm kind of waiting to see if Isaac's going to play. If he doesn't, we're going to need another big guy. And I said, could you introduce me to John Harar? And, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest is kind of history. We're really, really excited about John. Um, I think he is one of the most, like, underestimated, underappreciated Big Ten players in a while. I mean, the dude averaged a double-double last year in the Big Ten. I don't I don't feel like very many people know that. Um, we love his work ethic and – uh, just one kind of funny anecdote with John. I said, Hey, we have a very, you're, you're going to be our, our last roster ad. We have a very specific set of skills that we're looking for. Um, we need a big guy, right? We want a bulldozer a rebound. And I said, now, are you going to be looking to try to demonstrate some skills like shooting and stuff? And he like kind of laughed and he said, he goes, man, I don't want to shoot threes. That, ke- that keeps me too far away from the glass. I want to be down there getting offensive rebounds. So oh, yeah. so that's the type of you know bulldog mentality that we were really looking for. So, yeah, we're really excited about John. Um, I think he's going to be big for us. When uh, you and- hear that, you put it on mute and you go, yeah! Trying to act professional. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> one of the other guys I wanted to ask about, too, this one doesn't have necessarily the Big Ten influence, but – Kyle Mangus, he played at Indiana Wesleyan the uh, last few years, was a dynamite player, went to, I think, Warsaw High. Uh, yeah. But I remember, because I am I played in the Crossroads League at Goshen College, NAIA, NAIA ball, and uh, called some high school games around the area, and Kyle was coming up through Warsaw at the time. And you kind of saw it right then, like, oh, this guy's a little bit special. And then you saw what he did at IWU, and you're like, whoa. He's he's a, a really elite scorer. I mean, he's an elite player. How did you link up with Kyle Mangus, and, and how does he fit in? So I've been a Kyle Mangus fan for a long time, living here in Fort Wayne. You know, you see a lot of news stories, uh, newspaper articles about Kyle. So I've, I've followed him a lot, but especially his senior year. Um, and how did I link up with him? I'm trying to remember. I think it might have just been a message I sent to him on Twitter or Instagram, just saying, hey, I like your game. We may have a spot. We're, we're kind of looking for this type of specific set of skills. Would you be interested? And then we were, my wife and I were taking our kids down to Florida for spring break and he just called me. Um, we kind of hit it off. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Mangus, four-time All-American. I mean, that's that's incredible. Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, All-American every year. Increase the scoring average every year. Um, the other thing I really like about Kyle is he rebounds. So we were looking for a wing that not only could score, but also was willing to rebound and get in there and mix it up a little bit. So, no, incredible shooter, incredible human being and teammate. Um, 
he just finished his first year in the Czech Republic, uh, and he was an all-star in his first year. So I think awesome. uh, I think Kyle's stock is on the up and up. And, you know, he didn't really get a, a much of a chance to demonstrate um, his game last year for us, the first game. Um, the matchups just kind of were a little different, so he didn't get a ton of playing time. And then he had a Pacers workout for our second game, so he didn't get to play in the second game. So I'm really excited for him to have the opportunity to, to kind of showcase to our fans and, um, you know, the Big Ten and obviously his his fans and his followers what he can do in the TBT. The one that I noticed, and and I, I'm from Northeast Indiana, you know, went to IPFW at the time when I graduated with my undergrad, but uh, Frank Gaines jumped out for me because it, when he was at IPFW back then and when it was IPFW, he was just, he is a, a fabulous point guard that can score on top of it. And was it, was it your, your exposure to him being in Fort Wayne that, that kind of gave you that, Hey, we need to maybe talk to Frank about coming on. Yeah. So Frank played for us the first two years. He's not okay. playing this year for us. Oh, uh, he's not. Okay. He's not. But no, we do, we do have another Purdue Fort Wayne alum that I'm really excited. I can tell you a little bit about him, but um, yeah, so that, that connection was there as I've gotten to know the, the IPFW coach or the Purdue Fort Wayne. I'll always say I yeah. Me too. I graduated <laughs> from there. Yeah. Um, John Kaufman. And so he kind of connected me with several guys. Um, we really want, again, like the thing I want our fans to understand is when I started this team as a lifelong Purdue fan, I wanted, I still wanted to be as many Purdue players as we can get. Sure. So we take some flack for that on social media. Um, I think the first year when we only had five Purdue guys, people said, this is not the men of Mackey. It's the men who've heard about Mackey. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're trying to get as many Purdue guys as we can. So I also wanted to try to incorporate the Purdue Fort Wayne program if we could, hmm. uh, because there's been some really, really good players come through really? there. Frank Gaines, as you mentioned. Um, no, Frank was good for us. He's taken this summer off, but we're excited to add Louis Jacobo. Um, he's uh, a 6'5", kind of shooting guard. Um, he, he plays down in the Dominican right now. I'll be picking him up tonight um, from the airport. But he just finished uh, his season there, and he was a, he was runner-up in the three-point contest down there. So a lot of people probably don't understand how competitive the Dominican League is, especially in the summer. Because what you'll see is guys that are playing overseas in, you know, Europe or China or Asia. In the summer, if they want to make some more money, they can go down to the Dominican. So there's some really, really high-level basketball down there, and he's really thrived. So really excited to have Lewis. Another thing that I wanted to make sure we had when I started the team was just good guys. Um, there's a lot that goes into this for potentially one game, right? It's, it's you know, you lose and you go home. So I wanted to enjoy the experience, and I wanted to do it with good humans. And uh, I feel like Lewis is just a really good guy, so I've gotten to know him. Well, Ryan, I, I think we got a couple more questions before we get you out of here. One, I'm going to shift over from personnel to ask about the Elam ending. Um, talked with Nick Elam, talked with John Mugar. Everybody loves it. They're, they're still kind of tweaking it a little bit, but everybody seems to love it. From your perspective as a GM and from what you've heard from some of the previous Minimaki players, uh, and, and maybe I should explain for some of the viewers and listeners that aren't aware of what the Elam ending is. It's this concept to get rid of the fouling at the end of basketball games. So to prevent from just the foul, go to the free throw line foul and go to the free throw line to stop the clock to see if you can get back into it. You get to a certain point in the game. It's usually with four minutes left on the clock. 
you stop the clock, you set a target score. I think eight is what it's going to be this year. So whatever the, the leading score is that number you plus eight onto it. And the first team to hit that number will win the game. That's the new concept to get rid of some of that chaos or not even chaos, really just the, the maybe monotonous, a little bit boring, fouling, foul shooting at the end of basketball games. So, from your perspective and the players that have been a part of this, how do they feel about this concept? I think I can speak for them and myself, um, but we really like it. I think, I think if you ask the average person in TBT, they would say they love it for TBT. They love it for like an all-star game, but they don't necessarily feel that college basketball, for example, should go to it. Um, But yeah, I mean, the one interesting thing about it is you really have to game plan differently. So you saw, I don't know uh, if you were watching any of the games last night, but there was a team that was up uh, one and there was like, uh, I think that they were up three Another team scored. So they went up one, they're taking the ball out and it was like four minutes and 10 seconds. So what they did was they dribbled over the half court line. And when it got to four minutes, they called a timeout. So there's extra strategy that goes into this, that, that you just, you're not, you're not used to. Right. So the, the strategy there is if they would have gone down and shot and missed because there wasn't a dead ball, the other team could have gone down, scored, and the other team could have been up one going into the yield ending. So, yeah, anyway, there's some new wrinkles and some strategy. It really benefited us. I will tell you, our very first game ever in TBT, we were playing Team Heartfire, and uh, they had Isaiah Austin and um, some Baylor guys on the team. We were down by seven going into the Elam ending. So we had to go on essentially a 15 point. We had to score 15 points before they scored eight and we came back and won. So that was really thrilling, really exciting. Um, but no, I really love the Elam ending. It's unique and I hope they continue to, to do it. I'm sure they will. Yeah. I, just, I, I, it's a new concept and that's probably why there's such big blowback from some people. I hate, absolutely hate the extra 15 minutes a game goes because they're fouling at one end. They're taking their time and walking down to the other end. Then they take 20 seconds to shoot the free throw. Then they have to shake hands and step away from the line. You get what I'm saying? I love a quick ending. Plus, the, the worst strategy or stall to get it to in effect is calling a timeout. So one timeout puts it in effect. Okay, yeah. we're done. We're good. I, I, would, I, yeah. I, I would just say one other thing that we found uh, having four games under our belt is when you get in that Elam ending, the, the whole premise of it was not just to eliminate the fouling, but to make it more exciting. And they, they like to say every game ends on a made basket, right? Yep. They, they do not want the game to end on a free throw, although it could. So what that means for us and what we've kind of found in our first four games is it gets really physical once that Elam ending starts because you don't want to see it end on a free throw, right? So a lot of times we've kind of felt the refs are going to let you play. Swallow uh, it a little bit. Yeah, so you, you that's another wrinkle, right? Like if you're going to yeah. throw it down low, you pretty much have to expect that you're going to get mauled, right? And you may or may not get a, a, a foul call. Um, I will say, I think the refs do a really good job. I did. There was a game yesterday that ended on a free throw. That was an obvious foul. So not throwing the refs under the bus by any means, but it does. It definitely gets even more physical in the Elam ending. That's when you wish you had somebody like Isaac Haas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, Real quick. And we'll get you out, Ryan, but you talked briefly about this. You touched on it a little bit, but the fan engagement, 
Uh, you're going to be playing at Dayton in the Dayton Regional coming up this Sunday. You talked a little bit about what it's like on social media, but as the GM founder, what has the in-arena experience been like with the fans? What will that be like this weekend? And if you go back to social media, besides some of the jokes that you've talked about, what's this been like overall? It seems like there's a lot of support behind you. Oh, there's tons of support, yeah. So our first year we were in the bubble, so there was no fans. Uh, so last year was our, really our kind of our first experience, and – it was it was raucous. I mean, it was especially the the Carmen's Crew game. I mean, it it was like a mini Big Ten environment, right? You're playing Ohio State alums in Ohio State's uh, hometown. So yeah, I think they had probably 75 percent of the gym sold out uh, with with Carmen's wow. Crew fans. So it was it was an unbelievable environment. We're expecting that again. We expect good good showing. We've you know a lot of the players are bringing family and friends over, which is another unique thing. Um, you know, a lot of guys that are playing overseas, their their family and friends don't get to watch them play in person. So this is another great opportunity to have them, you know, in the house. But um, no, I mean, social media has been great. People people seem to go crazy. I'll never forget last year, um, the night before we announced Robbie Hummel was going to play. We hadn't really given any clues on that at all, but we put a teaser out um, that just said, you know, huge announcement tomorrow, Boilermaker legend. And uh, our coach, Ryan Smith, who was a, a Purdue player and teammate of Robbie's, he's like, man, I feel like this is Christmas Eve when I was a kid right now. So uh, just we've, we've had a lot of fun on social media and uh, our fans have really embraced us. We've got an awesome social media guy who who helps us out, which has been key to his name is Mike Hess. Um, so that's I, from my perspective as a GM, it's been awesome to have Mike on board because there are so many things that go into this from the logistical side, recruiting side. It's nice to have been able to delegate the social media to him, and he does a fantastic job. Hmm. Oh, very good. Well, of course, we're talking with Ryan Kay, the GM and founder of Men of Mackey, the Purdue alum team competing in the basketball tournament, tipping off this Sunday against Mid-American Unity. That's at 7 o'clock from Dayton. And of course, all the games are on the ESPN network. Ryan, before we let you go, anything you want to add that we missed? You, you talked about there's a couple of things that you really wanted to make sure that fans knew. Is there anything else we haven't hit? You know, the other thing, I don't know if we, we talked about too much. I think I may have mentioned it kind of in, in another uh, answer to a question was we're playing for the Tyler Trent Cancer Research Endowment. Oh, so wow. I don't know if you remember Tyler Trent. He was a, a former sure. priest student that passed away. Um, of osteosarcoma he won the the disney sports person of the year i believe before he passed away so we're excited this is three years in a row um we've had great support from his parents they're they're all about tbt they love our team um and so yeah one cool thing about our team which i think we're the only team that at least can say this right now i don't know how it would play out but um i i ask all of our guys when they commit to playing for us that if we were to win they would give a portion of their their winnings to the Tyler Trent Cancer Research Endowment. So we've got 100% buy-in from our players. Um, I don't make them commit to a set amount. I just want everybody to say, hey, if we win, we're doing this for a bigger cause, and everybody's been on board. So we're excited to keep Tyler's memory and spirit alive and hopefully win some money to that we can put towards cancer research in his name. That's fantastic. That is awesome. That is really great. Well, Ryan, we appreciate it so much. Best of luck. You're carrying the Big Ten flag, so you got to do us all proud here this weekend. But thank you so much for spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Ryan. All right, bye-bye. All right, again, Ryan Kay, GM and founder of the Men of Mackey for the basketball tournament. Uh, it's great you spent so much time with us. Really enlightening conversation on how the roster gets built, how uh, all this kind of comes together. 
and yeah. really just about the Elam ending in this entire basketball tournament experience because this truly is, when you get to this point in the calendar, uh, really one of the main events in, in sports. For sure. And it, granted, a lot of people don't recognize what TBT means or the what basketball tournament. Well, the basketball tournament. Which one? You know, you know, but it's because it's so new. There's more people that don't that I run into that have heard of it now that that don't. They at mm-hmm. least know about it. So it's getting bigger. Uh, and this is the perfect time for it. It's right before NFL camps open. It's just right before college football camps open. So, uh, I mean, it's during the media days, you know, so like there's really the media days is pretty much the only thing unless you have like two teams from L.A. moving to your conference in a couple of years. Like that's right. we lucked out with with stuff to talk about for two or three weeks because of that move. So the basketball tournament's just sitting there as it. So the, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch uh the men of Mackey. I don't care if there's only four of them on the roster that went to Purdue. I don't care. I'm, I'm with you. Purdue's represented in the, the basketball tournament, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I'm, I'm with it. Glenn Robinson, but then I realized Glenn Robinson's like 45 and probably probably not in the best basketball shape for, uh, for this type of tournament, maybe. Could, could probably still ball, though. I mean, that's sure he could still stroke it. I'm just thinking he wasn't really strong on the defensive side in the first place when he was younger. I can't imagine what his defense is like now. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and move to the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. It works this time. There you go. This is the part of the button. I hit the button. I I believe you. We we don't even need to pull back security footage. We're good. That's. Frustrating, Dalton. <laughs> hard. I so this is the part of the show where we pull out our headlines, uh, something that popped out to us. And so we'll go ahead and start off with Sam Sprunger and the Sam Sentinel. Well, mine is uh, a sad in tone a little bit, Dalton. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit sad because uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star game was played this week. And uh, Wilson Contreras, starting catcher for the NL. A uh, big thing, a big story about him was his brother, uh, William, was also an all-star. So it was the first time that two uh, two brothers had been in the starting lineup since 1993 when Sandy Alomar Jr. and Roberto Alomar were in the same starting lineup for the all-star game. Wow. Not, not what I'm getting the sadness about. It's sad because this will more than likely be the last all-star game that I see Wilson Contreras as a Chicago cub, which other than David Ross, who is now the manager of the team, uh, Wilson's the last connection to the 2016 world champions team that, uh, uh, beat the Indians, uh, in game seven of the world series on a cold, or actually it was an extremely warm, but rainy night in November back in 2016. Uh, Wilson, I can remember his first game when he was uh, called up. It was Father's Day against the Pirates, I believe. Yes, Pirates. And he hit a home run in his first at bat dead center. And I thought, oh, this is going to be nice. And to know that his style, uh, 
you know, a lot of people, and I, I, I wouldn't necessarily argue too hard if they didn't agree with me, but like, if you look at like a, a Yachty Molina type arm and kind of just that running the ship from behind the plate, uh, that's what Wilson Contreras kind of represented like he was 1a in my book when it came to when yadi was at the top of his game and wilson was still coming up you had yadi and then wilson right behind and when he's playing for your team you absolutely love him because you know he's a competitor uh he might not always run it out to first base when it's obvious he's not going to beat it out or whatever but just an incredible uh piece to that that world series uh championship team that uh he's the last remaining one from that team and uh the the writing on the wall pretty much uh kind of shows that he's probably not going to be there come next year and that's a it's a sad day uh but you know what wilson thank you so much for everything you provided us as cubs fans and uh best of luck uh with your history and he hasn't been traded yet I just fully anticipate within the next week he will be. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, kind of sad. So that's yeah. the same. I know, sorry to bring it down such a down note, but, uh, you know, that's uh, that's what happens. It closes out a chapter. No, it's a uh, it's a nice little farewell piece from you, Sam. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know if you noticed. I was playing around with my gadgets for a moment there because I was trying to figure out just how many days it's been for this next piece, which is going to be the Dalton Daily. Uh, it was reported in the news recently that Duke and Arizona have agreed to a home and home in college basketball, where they're going to go travel and play each okay. other at each other's places. That will, it, well, from when this show just came comes out Friday, it is 4,976 days since Duke last played a non-conference road game voluntarily. So no Big Ten ACC challenge because you're forced to play. Right. The last time that Duke voluntarily played a non-conference road game, you have to go back to December 6th, 2008, when they made the trip to Ann Arbor. That game at Michigan in 2008 is the last non-conference voluntary road game for so, the Duke Blue Devils. So you're saying when those uh, when those magnet schedules or those little pocket schedules come out, the last time it read a major road game was that 2000- wasn't neutral site or that they were forced to play. TBD. It didn't say uh, Big Ten ACC challenge. It was just Michigan at. Yep. 2008 do you think back to 2008 i mean that's i was only married for three years at that point (laughs) i mean that's 14 years ago so duke's finally going to get back on the road to play a non-conference road game Uh, come on they'll play with arizona here recently but and and so they had a little bit of a big 10 tie-in with michigan but it also made me start to think and wonder a little bit about some of the other big 10 non-conference games i wish would happen look i believe from what i understand that this is more on the kentucky side but indiana kentucky that's a non-conference home and home that should be happening annually i mean we we should be having those games you're saying like on campus, not at a, yes. a venue where you can make more money because there's more seats. Just, and I apologize, I'm honing in on your, your, your headline, but the yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it, we we need to start seeing some more home and homes because the made for TV events are fun. I mean the the Champions Classic's great. 
A lot of these things are great. Um, and Michigan State's a part of a lot of the made-for-TV events. But I think even Michigan State would tell you a little bit that they wish there could be more homes and homes. There would be more things to give the fans locally that come out to, to see some of the other non-conference games. Give them a big non-conference game, something different, something new in your home venue. I think it's great for the sport of college basketball. I'm glad Duke's finally wading back into that waters after 14 years uh, as they're, they're going to schedule Arizona. But if we can get more and more of these, and that's Big Ten included, um, I, I think that's just better for college basketball in general. So that is the Dalton Daily. Yeah, there's some there are some matchups that really could uh if you made them home and home. Well, like what what if Duke and North Carolina played home and home every year? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree. The the like, you know, I, even if it like North Carolina and Kentucky, if they did a, a home and home and home, uh, Duke and Kentucky, like, come on, let's let's be be real. Even when you, I don't even know if you were alive at the point of Christian Leitner hitting that shot against Kentucky. Wasn't, but you know about it. Yep. You know what I mean. That's one of college basketball's like most iconic moments. Is Grant Hill throwing the ball to Christian Leitner and him hitting the shot over the outstretched arm of a Kentucky defender to yeah. go to the Final Four? Like the Duke Kentucky home and home would be awesome. And excuse me, we had a couple last year where Gonzaga was playing a couple, Villanova played a couple, UCLA. We had some on-campus games. I just think it'd be best for the sport if we had more of those. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like. In college football, you, you have like that opening week where they do the the kickoff from uh, maybe Atlanta or whatever, an NFL stadium. But for the most part, when you go through the season, the other big non-conference games are at a, a non-campus stadium. I mean, right. college football doesn't have this problem nearly as much. And some of it, like, what is it, Nebraska and Northwestern that are kicking off from Dublin, Ireland? Yeah. this year to start yeah. things like, I mean, those, those things are unique and it's an in-conference thing. They've seen each other's place every single year, but more on campus games for college basketball would grow the sport even more. So that's, that's well, kind of the discount. If you think about college football, a lot of their stadiums house more than, than, uh, than the pro stadiums or True. right at. So it doesn't benefit most schools to go to you know what was it notre dame and wisconsin played in soldier field last soldier year field. kind of a, a midway point for the two schools so i could understand that but like they could have housed it how gotten more people in notre dame stadium if they played it at notre dame but wisconsin right. would have been at a, a, a huge uh a visiting team there at least at soldier field they had a shot at getting some of the tickets it, right. Well, and and again, like some of those things are are nice. I'm not super anti-made for TV, <clears throat> like the Champions Classic in basketball. It's a great thing. The aircraft carrier game is going to be a great thing. But I can get a chance to talk about that one. That's, we'll have to talk about that. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you could sprinkle it, it just feels like the balance is a little bit more tilted in college basketball than <clears throat> it is with college football. I'd like to see that even out where you had more on-campus games. But anyways... That will do it for us here at Big Ten Plus Four. Oh, wag of the finger from Sam. What do we got? You forgot to tell me or to have me talk to people about uh, about where to find us. That's right. Take the lead. 
Ah, no problem. I, that's why I just kept pointing up. Like, it, hopefully, you'd look up. But uh, at the top of our screen, if you're if you're watching, you can find the us at uh, Twitter at, at Big Ten Plus. Spell out the plus, Dalton. Do not put the plus sign. Spell it out. Four. So Big Ten Plus Four. Uh, Big Ten Plus Four with the plus sign on Facebook. I know it's confusing. It's Twitter's fault. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing with that one. Or, or you can find us on uh, oddpodsmedia.com along with all the other fa- uh, Odd Pods Media family sh- of shows there. Uh, ASAP Network, we stream on their TV channel, their Facebook, their Twitter page, everything every Friday, 845 every Friday. And, uh, you know, follow them for, for a bunch of different uh, sports uh, sports shows. But uh you know, make sure you watch Big Ten Plus Four, then go watch their other stuff. You know, whatever, you know. And if they ask, tell them that we gave you the key. That's right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh, shoot. Well, that will do it for us here at Big Ten Plus Four. Uh, that's Sam Sprunger over there. I'm Dalton Shetler. And saying so long, we'll talk to you next time. See you later. <laughs>